Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. We're back here on the first team. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by former NFL and college QB, as well as founder of the Sims Complete QB, Matt Sims. Today, it's just the two of us. No Ryan today. Uh, we are going to be sharing his info that he provided us, his picks for what we're going to be talking about on today's episode, which is who we are predicting as potential winners for the Bolitnikoff Award, the best wide receiver in college football. All that coming up on today's episode. We also, though, Matt, I want to start this off with... Uh, with a, a bit of a, a different turn from what we typically talk about on the show. It's a lot of player-specific conversations, but there's just a lot of craziness right now, especially <laughs> this week happening in the world of, uh, of college football. We've got media days going on, and as a result, there's a lot of passing of information, and we've come to this point now where Colorado, it's been abundantly clear that they are going to be moving on from the Pac-12 and moving back to the Big 12 it doesn't seem like that is totally finalized yet, but it's pretty much at a point where I don't see where we go backwards there in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. But as that move is happening, we now have rumors of other potential moves. I saw on Twitter today, this one seems far less confirmed, but Florida State maybe wanting to leave the ACC, which was rumored at the beginning of the spring, fuel to the fire. And then one of the other possible movers is Arizona heading to the Big 12 as well, as well and leaving the Pac-12. So Matt, like I, I want to ask you this just from like a broad perspective. Are we at a point where we can't turn back and we just need <laughs> to move to less conferences at the Power 5 level? Is that what's inevitably going to be best for the long-term success of college football? It doesn't really matter if you like it, hate it, indifferent about it. It just seems to be that that is the way that this is going right now. And it seems like college football is just collapsing upon itself year by year. Um, It seems like each year we get more and more teams that are antsy to shift and find a new home and a new environment. And really it's kind of sad because uh, the football that we grew up with is, is changing in one way. In another light, I think it is changing for a positive. Um, I think they're the college football uh, system right now and the way that the NCA has been managing it has been mm-hmm. has been very poor. It's been it's been very average. And uh, and I think also the policing of some of these schools and their coaches, uh, even the slap on the wrist on Harbaugh by the NCAA with being suspended for four games, but yet being allowed to be there at practice every single day and operate as normal. You know, so it's kind of like one of these things where it just I don't really know who is. Uh, who is ordering who around anymore. The college football landscape right now is a little bit of a wild, wild west. And these schools are trying to find the best locations possible for them personally. And speaking directly on Colorado, that one to me is extremely fascinating because Mm. what happens when Prime leaves after another year or two? You know, what happens if his son decides to go to the draft early? Um, it, it, he's probably you know going to bounce <laughs> and go to the next opportunity within a year or two if it presents itself, unless Colorado comes through with you know some monumental uh, money that keeps them there. So very curious to see how these things play out. The SEC is slowly kind of taking over the world in the college football landscape too, and uh, that is just a juggernaut that I don't think could be slowed down really in the football landscape. 
Well, I feel like right now what the biggest driver behind all of this is it's the television networks. Of it course, is yeah. the media companies that that own all these rights and it, it's it's unprecedented because back in before the the 2000s, I don't think that they had nearly as much control as they clearly do now. Mm. And I, I don't know if they're trying to do away with some of the top conferences and the the Pac-12 is is probably the most obvious one that is slowly counting its days. But I, I really, this is how I sit, Matt. I think that we're we're beyond repair, and I think that the fact that the Pac-12 has yet to announce a new media rights deal, the fact that uh, Klyovkov, the commissioner, was saying that, oh, I'm not worried about any of my teams leaving for the Big 12 at Pac-12 Media Days last weekend, and here we are, Colorado's leaving for the Big 12. So yeah. he clearly doesn't have a, a, a proper control on things. I think soon, very soon, I would not be surprised if we just don't see some type of dissolving of the Pac-12. And I know that might be a, an outrageous projection to throw out there, but I I don't see a way that the Pac-12 recovers from this. And if we do have some more reshuffling, if Florida State does leave the ACC, they have enough teams where they'll be fine. But I feel like the Pac-12 is, who do they go and get to replace now USC, UCLA, and Colorado, and then possibly eventually Arizona? That is a rapidly depleting conference that is losing most of its big brands and all those other big schools like Oregon and Washington and Utah are going to be picking up the phone to protect their best interests because no media company is going to give a favorable deal to the Pac-12 with no big brands and teams currently leaving and then the possibility of more teams leaving as well. And, and I think you hit a really good point there uh, that I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into with the Florida State aspect and the ACC. You know, that would be a huge domino, right, to the ACC. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would absolutely be detrimental to the ACC if Florida State decided to shift to the SEC. And that's where I think it gets a little scary, too, for even the ACC in this situation. If a team like a Florida State leaves, I mean, what is really holding – you know, Clemson to stay there. You know, everyone else is kind of they're they're unfortunately they don't have enough bargaining chips to really push themselves out of it, except for maybe Duke's men's basketball team. You know, other than that, I, I feel like everyone is kind of gonna be held hostage a little bit to stay in the ACC just because they have to, right? Not because that they want to. Florida State, I think, would be absolutely just like a huge loss for the ACC if they do make that flip. And it really kind of leaves even the ACC in question in their future years going forward and how they play in the football world. Um, the Pac-12, you're absolutely right. It's just been it's been the snowball effect of UCLA, USC, and then just slowly getting worse and worse, I feel like, each and every day. Losing Colorado, you know, I'm sure wasn't that big of a deal to them as far as the big picture. But losing Colorado with the idea of Deion Sanders being their head coach for potentially a 10-year run, now that is scary. Um, mm. I don't think that that's possible. I don't think that that's going to happen or it's going to play out that way. But the fear of that has to be a real thing that they have to keep in mind. And, um, you know, unfortunately, really for all the football fans out there, the SEC just continues to grow and get stronger and bigger and better and more exciting. And it's going to be harder to deviate your eyes away from wherever the SEC is being displayed on your television screen. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have to see what what ends up happening with all this because it's just it's a whirlwind. It is, everything is moving so fast and you can't even keep up with the rumors right now. It's it's like everybody's picking dates for the prom at this point where it's like <laughs> yeah. so and so's going going to prom with so and so. It's like who who's going with who? Who's who's changing uh, 
you know, changing their partners at the last minute. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, again, it's hard to keep track of, and we're going to have to see what the, the new landscape of, of college football is going to be like. I mean, college uh, football realignment. right now, I mean, it's three main focuses. It's the divisions, how they get played out, right? It's the NILs and all that kind of stuff too. And then it really kind of just goes into now the TV rights like you're talking about and how that gets all played out. But all of these things have just been – the door has been just flung open and things have just been flying through like we're in like the movie, you know, Twister or Tornado or whatever it is. And it is just crazy. Just everything is flying around and hopefully – we can get some sort of resolution and a little bit more consistency from whoever the hell is leading college football right now. <laughs> exactly, whoever is the one uh, you know puppeteering all this. I guess. Um, yeah. Matt, let's talk about let's talk about these uh, these Bolitnikov picks for the second half of the show here. Uh, I'm going to start us off with my first pick, and I think that when we talk about the Bolitnikov and the history of the award, I, I feel as though it's it's never the the best guy. It's never the best receiver. And we said this about some of the other uh, awards so far. A lot of the times it's the guy who has a couple really big performances or it's uh, a guy who just has a crazy gaudy stat line at the end of the year. For example, Jalen Hyatt won this one at this past year. Marvin Harrison Jr. Didn't. And mm. I know that you're going to pick, you know, not you're going to pick, but we're going to end up talking <laughs> about Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, right. Not to spoil too much, <laughs> yeah, right. but it's something to remember that this kind of happens. It's, it's very strange how this award works specifically the Belenikov. My pick, my first pick is going to be Dorian Singer, who formerly of Arizona is now going to be playing at USC this upcoming season. It feels really, really similar to the Jordan Addison transition mm. where he came from Pitt. He had won the Belenikov at Pitt and then he transfers to uh, USC and his production goes down a little bit because he was dealing with a little bit of an injury, but he's going into an offense that sets him up to be a huge, massive playmaker. He's got a lot of other guys around him. It's going to have, it's going to be a really explosive run game with Marshawn Lloyd joining things, but he's got a Heisman trophy winner throwing him the football. Dorian Singer last year, 1,100 yards and six receiving touchdowns. He is going to be set up for some massive production. And if everything goes according to plan, I don't see a reason why uh, he doesn't end up winning this award. Uh, and I'd be so curious to hear Ryan's opinion of your pick right now, because I'm sure that he would be like scratching and itching himself saying, oh, my God, Joe, you're crazy for saying this. But I really like this pick a lot. I really do. I think it, it makes a, a ton of sense. And just what we've seen with Caleb Williams, his ability to throw the football as dynamically as he does. I mean, this guy is going to get a lot of opportunities right, to make explosive plays down the field. Um, I think it's a very good sneaky pick. I don't think a lot of people would probably have them at the top of his li- uh, of their list, mm. um, but I, I, I'm with you right there. He's going to have more than enough opportunities on the national level too, right, especially with playing the former Heisman uh, Trophy winner to display his skill set. And like you said, the biggest thing really I think for him and really all of these guys is just being consistent, being healthy, being available for their team throughout the season because it is. It's, it's more so about – you know, accumulating a lot of fantastic stats throughout the year with those two or three moments that you're like, wow, do you remember that play in week eight when he made that one-handed grab, you know? So uh, I think he's in a prime position to have a fantastic season. So who's your first pick that we've got here for your uh, for your Blitnikoff projection? Yeah, so I went really boring. You know, I'm that guy that's just like, I'm going to take the most obvious. I'm going to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, I think this is a guy that is uh, the the receiver number one in the, in the country right now. And he's a guy that I think is going to be the first receiver off the board in next year's draft. Uh, we're talking about a guy that has just elite – 
uh, hand, speed, quickness, agility, does all the little things the right way and also has a frame, you know, a 6'3", 6'4", frame, maybe a little inflated according to Ohio State, but still has a big frame, long arms, has the ability to stretch the football uh, down the field and to get open down the field and create great separation. And is a really good job of like using his body, right, and protecting himself and the quarterback from throws that maybe aren't perfectly thrown. The other aspect that I think that he does extremely well that he doesn't get enough credit for is he does a good job of rerouting on scramble plays you can see it at multiple times throughout the year last year even though cj stroud everyone was talking about his lack of mobility here and there but when cj stroud did get outside the pocket marvin harrison jr did a great job of making sure that he was staying flat and friendly for the quarterback on numerous occasions so those broken down plays going with his elite route running ability and now hopefully getting involved into the slot this year a little bit more so. I think his connection with Kyle McCord, high school buddies over there at St. Joe's Prep Philadelphia, now taking it to the next level. I don't think Marvin Harrison misses a stride this year, and I think Kyle McCord Mm. finds a a friend early and often in the season that he knows very familiar. Right, that's something that I feel is – such a forgotten aspect of this new connection is that they they play together. You know, there's yeah. a familiarity between uh, between the two of them. You, you can't go wrong with with talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. And I, I'm still stunned that he didn't win the award last year uh, for not only the consistent performances that he had, but just the the general dominance that he had on a week to week basis. Nobody was stopping it. Right. What literally took him to be stopped was to suffer an injury against Georgia right to you know many argued that it was um an illegal hit right and I, I'm not gonna open that can of worms, <laughs> yeah not right now that not was, right, now. <laughs> right right and that was what took him to get neutralized which yeah. is insane to talk about for uh that's what it takes to take out a receiver but um he is one of those players that is going to be very highly projected in the upcoming draft and at the very least if he doesn't win the award he is going to be very highly sought after by the NFL. Um, my second pick that I've got here, uh, Matt, is in line with what I talked about earlier, where it, it's sometimes not always the biggest name. It's sometimes just the guy who puts up the stupidest stat yeah. line. And I have to pinpoint uh, a football player who was one of the most productive players in all of college football at the receiver position last year is, I believe, the most productive guy in terms of returning production, if not in that top three. And of course, I'm talking about Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky. I know it's insane to be sitting here picking a Western Kentucky receiver, but as we've learned over the couple past <laughs> couple of years yeah. of this new wave uh, Western Kentucky team, uh, this, this new program, the way that they've uh, been shaped under Helton is that they put up stupid offensive numbers. There is just crazy, crazy offensive production on a year-to-year basis, and he's played up to that. Last year, he had 1,293 yards and 11 touchdowns to go along with 101 receptions. For a veteran, savvy guy like Corley, I don't see a reason why that number doesn't improve. It doesn't get better. And it also helps that the guy who was throwing him the football last year, Austin Reed, opted to not go through with his portal intentions of leaving and heading to another program. So he's got the guy throwing him the football from last year coming back, He's stepping into the same offense. He is going to put up, I think, really, really big numbers. And if there's that one G5 guy, you know, our Corey <laughs> Davis of the year yeah. who wins the award unexpectedly because he's got just got like 1,700 yards or something crazy like that at the end of the season, I think it's going to be 
uh, Malachi Corley. This is not far-fetched at all because you're exactly right. I mean, Western Kentucky, uh, what they do is they just throw the rock around. And he's really he's probably going to end up being one of three receivers next season that has over 1,000 yards in production, you know, or at least in a plus 900 because of how much they throw the mm. football around. But, you know, the cool thing that I like about him too, he's a junior, a little bit more experience of a football player, right? He's 5'11 and he's 210 pounds. So he has a build that allows him to be strong, to be physical, to run through tackles, to make explosive plays. He had a long last year of 76 yards. So the guy has that game-breaking ability to stretch the football, uh, the defense, excuse me, vertically down the field. Um, so I, I think that's a really good pick, and I think he is absolutely going to be super productive this year too. And it's it's a good time right now in football for all of the receivers, right, in college football. And uh, running back's not the spot, but, man, receiver, <laughs> receiver is – and uh, this is a guy that, you know, really can do a lot for himself, both, you know, for this season, the Blinnikoff, but also, you know, raising awareness and getting an opportunity to really make a, a run at that next level, too, for himself. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Corley fan. I always have to find a way to sneak in those <laughs> yeah. uh, those uh, those lower level guys. Your, uh, your second pick, who you got first, Matt? Yeah, so, I mean, thanks for, you know, the uh, lower level schools and, you know, making me seem like I'm just like a, a homer with, you know, the big time <laughs> places right now. So I got Rome Adunze, receiver from Washington. Um, I, I picked Michael Penix uh, as a guy that I was considering for the Joe Walker. And, you know, I really do think that he's a guy that's just going to be extremely productive this season. They return a lot of people on that offensive side of the football, offensive coordinators back. They put up a ton of numbers last year. They threw the ball extremely well. He's one of the greatest throwers in college football right now, other than the Kalen Williams. So I feel like Rome is going to have another fantastic year this year. He has trouble every now and then getting off the press and kind of creating that separation. He might not have elite speed like some of these other guys that we've discussed, but runs really good routes. Very, very good and sure-handed. Doesn't really stretch the field like some of these others like we discussed earlier, but he is put in enough opportunities throughout the game to create a lot of football plays for himself. And just last year, had 70 catches for uh, ten uh, for 1,000 yards um, and seven TDs. Expect the TDs to go up a little bit more this year, especially being a little bit more prevalent in the red zone for him this season, um, but still expect them to get a ton of work uh, expect seven, 70 plus catches again this season. Expect another thousand yard receiving season for him too. So if he can have just maybe one or two wow moments, like you mentioned earlier against like the USC's of the world in prime time, you know, where they have a, a really big upset victory, I look for him to kind of jump up that pack, uh, and create a little bit of a, a little bit more national hype for himself this season. Yeah, the, the thing with Washington this upcoming season, you can't go wrong with picking really any of, your, any of their players to win any of these awards. Right. And I, I think that a, a, a comparison that hasn't been made yet is that if there's a team that's going to be this year's Tennessee, I think it can be Washington. Ooh, They've got like every that. single comparable aspect for this upcoming 2023 season where you've got an experienced quarterback with great traits – a uh, smart football player, yeah. great decision maker in an offense that is built to stretch defenses, but most importantly, has multiple elite receivers. Yeah. Adunze is not the only guy. Right. And if there is a, you know, a Jalen Hyatt of the group, I, I think it is Adunze, not a comparable play style between the two of them, right. but just being a really, really productive player and a dominant player in college football. Everything makes sense for them to be really good this year. And as we know, good football teams – 
they all play cohesively together. Everybody's potential and production is boosted when you are playing collectively together and cohesively. So I think that Adunze makes a lot of sense. He was the the leader of the group last year. He was the best amongst all of these Washington receivers uh, in in uh, in 2022. So for him to take naturally to take that next step and put up even more numbers and to just be in our thoughts and minds after he has one massive performance against whether it's Oregon or USC, I can totally see it. And frankly, look, I'm going to go as far as say this, Matt. I, I'm not really that scared of the corner play in um, in in the Pac-12. Like, who is who is really in the Pac-12 that's going to slow him down? It's it's not like the SEC, right? It's it's not like the Big Ten with some of these big name corners that he has to go up against. No, he's not really going to be seeing a ton of like press in your face defense all the time. I mean, the Pac-12, it does seem like as a whole kind of just does play a little bit more of a lax type of defensive approach and really just fights for the, can we have the ball last to make that last play? And I'm really disappointed in you too, to make sure that, you know, you didn't correct me either. I said Doak Walker award for Michael Penix, like a little silly goose and he didn't even correct me. So uh, you know, I was just trying to see if you were listening and clearly you weren't. So, but I, I oh, picked, stop. I picked, I picked Mr. Penix for the Davey O'Brien award and I really apologize. Davey I don't O'Brien. know why I was thinking Doak Walker, but uh, it sounded good when I said it. Um, but yeah, R- Ryan would have cut you off. This he is why he, we need Ryan he totally would. Ryan would have been like rolling his eyes, like, "What are you talking about, Matt?" Um, yes. But yeah, Adunze exactly. is definitely in a prime situation. You know, the biggest thing really for him is just can he can he make more plays off schedule? Can he catch the football, create more plays, breaking tackles, and just getting more yak yards after he has some of these catches? Um, you know, I think that's the next phase of his his growth as a personal player. Last pick that we're throwing in there, uh, Ryan gave us his picks. One of them was Roma Dunze, uh, but the other one that I want to just quickly bring up with a couple minutes remaining here, Malik Neighbors from LSU I thought is a sneaky good pick. Mm-hmm. And last year he uh, had a very quiet 1,000 yards, 72 receptions, and three touchdowns. I feel like his name has not been brought up enough in the season leading up as one of the top receivers. But look, one thing we know is that LSU produces – really good receivers. And I know that Brian Kelly, different head coach, this isn't, you know, Ed Orgeron who had Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what's in the water there in Louisiana. (laughs) Those guys just end up hitting. And I I love that the progression of this offense really fits with Brian Kelly with how he likes to call play or how he likes to orchestrate an offense. And I think neighbors can take that step forward if Jane Daniels has another really strong season this year. Other than I feel like Marvin Harrison Jr., I feel like everyone has been kind of pinning neighbors as like the second best or maybe the best receiver in the country, you know, depending on who you talk to. Uh, just saw Jordan Rogers the other day on the SEC Network mention that he thought that neighbors was his number one receiver in the country. So Jaden. Daniels absolutely has great opportunity to help him get this award this season. You know, the big question really be, is that sophomore slump a real thing for Jaden Daniels and for uh, quarterbacks under Coach Kelly? Uh, That's something that I feel like Ryan actually really does believe in. And, uh, you know, when when Ryan really believes something, and I feel like he's typically pretty right, you know, from my experience of getting to know him. So, um, you know, the big question mark will just be Jaden Daniels. Does he continue to, you know, that up? upward rising ascension into his play as an LSU quarterback and decision maker and giving neighbors a, a plenty of opportunities because the physical traits are there for neighbors. Yeah, it's uh, very surprising that Ryan's not here to dis- defend himself. And <laughs> right. he also picked an LSU player yeah. knowing his track record. Oh, of, this is a great uh, point. Yeah. 
being an LSU <laughs> hater on this program, he's suddenly not here to talk about the LSU guy. I find that that you know that really funny. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> interesting that, coincidence, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, very very interesting coincidence. We'll have to give him a, a hard time next week when we do. I, I think next week might be tight ends. We'll take a quick look at what the you know the next best uh, award to talk about. But folks, that's going to be it from us. Thank you for tuning in. All of us will be back on next show uh, potentially at Joe DeLeon. <laughs> at Sims Complete QB, at First Team Pod on Twitter. Make sure you go and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out of any uh, on any of our upcoming content as the season gets closer and closer every single day. Talk to you folks later. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Toodles. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.